y'all. Hey, guys. <laughs> well, hey, guys. Um, I am Everett Alexander. This is my wife, Emily. And uh, four years ago was kind of like the first time that we had stepped foot in here and to re-engage. And this was not really my favorite place when I first came here <laughs> the first night. But uh, I think I speak for both of us to say that this is one of our fav- favorite ministries and favorite place to be. So we're just going to share our story tonight. And uh, if you guys would just pray with us real quick. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you for tonight. And uh, we thank you for the grace that you've had on us. And God, I just thank you for your heart that you just you care so much about everybody in here. Lord, you are a big deal, and uh, but you've humbled yourself, and, and, and you just you laid your life down, and <clears throat> you did it all for us. God, you care about each one of us. You care about every couple represented here, and you are for us, and you're on our side. We just thank you so much for that. We pray that um, you just do a work tonight, and we, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I just want to start out by saying Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1 said, I did not come to you with eloquence of speech. And uh, so you're probably going to experience a little bit of that tonight, okay? <laughs> so I'm kind of like Paul in that way. So, but she's going to blow you away no. with the things <laughs> that she says. Raising nah. the bar. <laughs> All right, so let's get started. <clears throat> so I did not grow up in a Christian home. My father was an alcoholic, and my mother lived with chronic back and neck pain due to a car accident when she was young. They married at 16 and had me and my three sisters by the time they were 22. We always struggled financially and never lived in one place for more than a year. I moved over 20 times before high school, and my family was not in the military. Because of this, I struggled with insecurity and did not know how to develop deep relationships with people. The conflict in our home was constant and chaotic. It would be explosive, and then we would pretend that it didn't happen. It was usually about my dad's inability to quit drinking. His constant choice to choose alcohol over me left me feeling like I wasn't very valuable or enough. Another rock that shaped my young life was being sexually assaulted by a man. In order, to pro- in order to prove that I was normal, I became sexually active at the age of 13. My parents eventually divorced, and it left me feeling like I had to choose sides. <clears throat> I was devastated. At this point, my parents let me move in with my girlfriend and her mom. Excuse me. My insecurities grew, and I began to hate authority. I quit school early as a, as a child, and I ended up getting a GED. At 16, my girlfriend broke up with me, and in my brokenness, I cried out to God for help. I was invited to church and found Christ. This church was different from anywhere that I'd been. For the first time in my life, I felt like I could be myself, and people loved me. I became very involved in ministry, and the church became my world. Because of my unhealthiness, I quickly began to get my value for man instead of God. I developed a strong need for the approval of others and would work hard to get it. This began a vicious cycle of high highs and low lows, depending on what others thought of me. 
right. Uh, I also did not grow up in a Christian home. We did not go to church, and my only exposure to God was a church camp that I went to every summer. Once, I went to a youth group when I was 12 years old, and I heard the gospel for the first time. I raised my hand to be saved. And that night, I sat on the end of my parents' bed, fervently trying to tell them if they didn't accept Jesus, they were going to hell. (laughs) Uh, They did not receive this well and uh, called the church to complain. So it sent very mixed messages to me about who God was. Uh, My teenage years were rebellious and painful. Although I made very good grades, I was out of control and looking to be loved. These years included a lot of drinking and promiscuous behavior. This led to much rejection and despair. I never felt good enough, and I didn't know why I wasn't enough for anybody. My father had an affair and left my mom for a period of time, and my brother left to go to the Air Force Academy. Feeling very alone and unloved, I tried to commit suicide twice. My parents did try to get me help at this time and put me in counseling. They also put me in a Christian private school. (laughs) During this time, God began to tug on my heart, although my behavior did not change until college. In college, my on-again, off-again high school boyfriend broke up with me, and out of my despair, I began to seek a God that I did not know. Shortly afterwards, a friend from work invited me to church. I knew I desperately needed God's forgiveness for all of my poor choices, and I gave my heart to Christ. At the same time, and actually the same day, I met Everett. (laughs) When Emily and I met, I knew she was the one for me. She was beautiful, still is, and had a great ability to communicate. Although while dating, there were no, I'm sorry, although while dating, there were red flags about our ability to work through conflict. She was a pursuer and I was an avoider. I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that. I thought this would go away after we got married. Actually, I thought I was a great guy and my future wife was getting a pretty good deal. I knew I wasn't an alcoholic like my dad and I loved God. What could there possibly be conflict about? I was going to tell her I loved her, and I was never going to cheat on her. So unfortunately, these unrealistic expectations led to major conflict and bitterness between us over the next 11 years. Um, Our dating was fun and exciting. I had just gotten saved. I had met a man that loved me for me. Um, He did not try to pursue me physically, and he seemed to love me for who I really was. I could totally be myself with him. He was good-looking and the most genuine person I had ever met. He loved people and had a strong relationship with the Lord. This was amazing to me, and I couldn't believe that he loved me too. This was so appealing to me that I didn't see any of the red flags that were waving at us. When he asked me to marry him, I jumped at the opportunity, and we were married after we dated for about a year. And instead of growing in my new relationship with Christ, I focused on my new relationship with Everett. Looking back, there was trouble when we dated. Whenever conflict arose, I wanted to talk about it, and Everett didn't. The more he avoided it, the more I pursued it until he would explode. I didn't know how to make or keep healthy boundaries, and I was more concerned about how Everett felt about me than I was about Christ. I thought when we got married that this issue would go away. In our early years, I put ministry and everyone's opinion before Emily. When she wanted to talk about conflict, I would either shut down or have explosive anger. I used sarcasm as a way to express my feelings to her and would usually not say anything unless I felt like she was criticizing me or approaching me first. This made it very difficult for her to approach me about anything, and I was okay with that. Deep inside, I wanted peace in our home but did not know how to get there. I had a hard heart towards Emily, 
and I did not know how to break through the bitterness. <clears throat> After we were married, conflicts began right away. I was selfish, and I had high expectations that Everett's sole mission in life was to make me happy. I always thought I was right and that my ways and ideas were better. I was constantly unhappy and critical of him. I was aggressive in my approach and overbearing. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I was not gentle, and my words were harsh. I did not handle it well. He was unhappy with me. I felt like if Everett was unhappy with me, that God was unhappy with me too. Over the years, we attended marriage conferences, counseling, etc., and nothing ever changed. Our fights got worse and worse, and it seemed constant. As our marriage grew cold, I tried to search out ways to feel significant again. I did not understand what God's word said about me or how valuable I was to him. I had become very complacent in my relationship with God, and I was very bitter at my life. In trying to fill the void, I went back to school to get my nursing degree. During this time, I lost my only brother, and this seemed to push my bitterness to another level. I began to question God and if he was even real. I wondered why it was so hard to feel loved by him. I made a decision that if this was who God was, that I did not want him. I also began to ponder if I wanted to stay in my marriage. I thought there might be a better life out there and that I had made a mistake of getting married so young. I began to get my identity from my job, and I enjoyed the attention that I got from men and flirtatious banter at work. I pondered on thoughts of being married to someone else. Where your heart is, your actions will follow. In March 2010, I went to Haiti to help with the earthquake victims. I'd like to say that my motives were pure, but I was seeking to feel more to feel important than I was to minister to the people who were suffering there. My life and my heart had become extremely self-centered. I felt needed and important, and I could not see how ugly my behavior really was. After engaging in drinking and flirtatious behavior, I had an affair the last week that I was there. I dreaded coming home, but I knew I had to tell Everett. At this point, I was very confused about what I had done. When I confessed the affair, the pain that I saw on Everett's face was horrible. I had crushed him, possibly beyond repair. It was hell. He couldn't sleep. We didn't know where to turn for help, and we were very hopeless. Yeah, so after I found out about the affair, I was obviously devastated. So much emotion and, and pain, worthlessness, rejection, and betrayal were just a few of the emotions that were dominating me. I don't know how... I didn't know how to get through it. I made a quick decision that our marriage was over. I would never be able to trust Emily again. The next several months were spent with me lashing out in extreme anger. Because I couldn't control my outburst, we separated twice. And During this time, I began to examine and process um, my feelings. It wasn't easy to say the least, but I started to realize that I had placed too much value in what others thought about me especially my wife. I believe that Emily had rejected me in such a harsh way because I lacked something. I later realized that her choices were because she didn't get her value and worth from Christ. That being said, I saw how I was falling way short of being the husband that God wanted me to be. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Although her confession was painful, Extremely painful. It was the first step towards healing in our relationship. At one point, after much self-examination, I was ready for change. I knew I needed Christ, and I was willing to do whatever it took to keep my family and move back in the right direction with God. 
I told Everett I was committed to him no matter what. I can't say that I felt like being in an unhappy marriage, especially in light of his anger towards me. But God's grace showed up. This was the beginning of me realizing that you don't live according to your feelings, but you live according to God's, the truth in God's word. I decided to make an unwavering commitment to my marriage, no matter the cost. I had messed up big time, but I was going to start trying to make the right choices now. This is when a great friend invited me to re-engage and told me there were several couples that were in the same boat and that there was hope. She told me that these people were real and transparent. I told Everett about it, and he was willing to go. Our first night was terrifying. I thought people were going to know what I had done. I felt like I was wearing the big scarlet letter. My shame was all over me. But God showed up. Raul and Susan Cox shared their story with the group. I was able to connect with the similarities of our situation, and it gave me hope. I had never heard anything like that before. I left thinking that maybe we could be okay, and maybe we could even have a happy marriage. We started open group, and God always put the right people in our path. Our open group leaders were a great encouragement to us. We were starving to get better, so we didn't hold back very much. We told our story right away. No one judged me, and no one judged Everett. We were 100% accepted and loved, and we eventually joined a closed group. I came to see that my identity was completely wrapped up in Everett and everything else besides God. I found that I was trying to please people more than God. I realized that my emotional outburst and my aggressive way of dealing with conflict was terribly damaging to the husband that God had given me. Our leaders were faithful, even to the point of being exhausted with me to point me towards Christ. So the first night of re-engage, we were asked to rate our marriage, uh, 1 through 10. I gave us a .5 just so Emily couldn't rate any lower than me. It's true. (laughs) And she didn't. (laughs) She was like a 1 or a 2, something like that. That night, Raul and Susan Cox shared their story. It was very similar to ours, and I couldn't believe it. I chased Raul down. You remember that, brother? Chased Raul down in the parking lot and asked him, Man, are you guys for real? Have you really forgiven your wife? And the truth was that he had... And that um, she had forgiven him. And I think that's what he had said to me. Uh, Not only did I forgive her, but she's forgiven me. And I didn't think that was possible. So I was blown away. When we went through re-engage, everyone in our group was quick to love us and not judge. Re-engage was our first introduction to what community looked like. It didn't happen overnight, but relationships were built through continual reaching out and accountability when Emily and I would get stuck in conflict. I began to learn and believe that God had forgiven me, even though it was understandably a continued struggle for Everett. I also began to see that Christ loved me, and that although I would never be enough, he took care of that on the cross. Romans eight thirty eight and 39 says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither my fears for today or my worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate me from Christ's love. No power in the sky above or earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation, and I added this part, even myself or my own doubt, will ever be able to separate me from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We hear that scripture a lot, but that scripture changed my life. And when I believed that it was true, I I began to understand God's grace and mercy. I began to see that I was beautiful and loved and perfectly made in Christ's eyes. He did not see my sin anymore. For the first time in my life, he was enough. I could endure Everett's anger and hurtful words while he healed. 
I learned how to make healthy boundaries for myself, and in the process, I learned how to love myself and to be able to love my husband the way that God had called me to. During closed group, I was encouraged to look at myself and not focus on Emily. The men in my group began to hold me accountable for my anger and unforgiveness towards her, and I began to turn to God's word for guidance. One scripture during this um, time that really impacted me, actually still does, is... um, Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. And uh, I was definitely not living that way towards my wife. I may have been with others, but not with her. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have with one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I had to make a choice on a daily and sometimes hourly basis to walk in forgiveness. And I, I'm going to insert something here, so don't... She's like, no... No changes. <laughs> no improvising. <laughs> but, guys, honestly, I could not trust my feelings anymore. I, I, I was at the point where I was listening to myself. I had to get to a point through the process where I was like, I cannot trust myself or my feelings any longer. I have to rely on what others are telling me that, that love God and what the word of God tells me. And so if all of a sudden, if I would have a bad thought about Emily or towards, towards her, in my mind that was a red flag for me, and I had to go, okay, what's going on with me? Because I had to, I had to think, no, Emily's not bad. She's a good wife. She's, she's loving. She loves the Lord. So does that make sense? Any time I would have a negative thought towards her, that was a red flag for me that, whoa, I need to check myself out. So anyways. So this was our story in March 2010, a little over four years ago. We have continued to grow in our relationship with Christ. Something we felt compelled to share tonight is that it's not enough to do the right thing only um, during crisis mode. It's a con- constant maintenance. In order to be the husband or wife that we're, that we're meant to be, we need to make a daily decision to spend time in God's Word and to put ourselves around God's people. When we don't make the time for that, we can easily find ourselves back in old patterns. <clears throat> Which we found ourselves at time to time over the four years. Um, <clears throat> when we found ourselves at Reengage, I promise you, we were completely hopeless. And if you're feeling hopeless, God can do a miracle. He turned our ashes of a marriage into a beautiful marriage. We still struggle, but we struggle well. We're grateful to say that we love where our marriage is today. And in two days, we're celebrating our 16th wedding anniversary. Woohoo! <laughs> and, uh, I just want to end with this, and this is something, it's a, a McGeeism, John McGeeism. He <laughs> says this all the time, but there's four things that it takes for a couple to be healthy, and he's right. I've seen it in all the couples that we've been with over and over and over, and the first thing is this. Make a commitment to follow Christ. You can't do this without Christ. Number two, draw the circle around yourself and work on you. can't control your spouse. You can only control yourself. Have community. Put God's people around you. We can't do it alone, and we were never meant to do it alone. Um, Make a line in the sand commitment. 
draw a line in the sand that you're going to stay together no matter what. And no divorce. Divorce is never an option. So I just want to leave you all with that. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs>